All right, so we have just finished a series called Healthy, uh, looking at Ephesians chapter 3 in particular. You can find that on our website, cityharborchurch.com slash messages. And the great thing is you might have a friend um, who Sunday morning is just really not there on ramp to God. Uh, hey, we live in this social media age. You can, with most of you, with your phone, those of you who don't have a flip phone, uh, you can go straight to cityharborchurch.com slash messages and share that link with somebody. And there are the notes, there's the ability to stream the audio, to download the audio, whatever works best for you. Um, this morning, um, I'd like to, for us um, to take a slowdown. I'm going to call this relax. That might mean something in particular to some of you. Pop, pop culture, bless you. Pop culture and uh, football fans and not the too distant past when Packer fans thought the whole world was coming to an end and their quarterback said, relax. <laughs> We're going to take a little bit different uh, look at that word this morning. And here's our, our principal thought. Let's slow down to be with Jesus. Love him and learn from him. Pastor Ben, that's really the opposite of what's going on in my life right now. It's the fall, everything's speeding up, I'm getting back up to speed after summer and the heat and the humidity and maybe some travel or time off work or whatever. My whole life is slowing down, is is speeding up and you're saying slow down. Yes, this following Jesus thing is often an inside out, upside down kind of a thing. And I want to call us to slow down a little bit, to be with Jesus to learn from Jesus, to love Jesus. And so I want to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke is a doctor. Luke is a person who in some ways is a spiritual leader, certainly, but in some ways also historian. Uh, we have a lot in the way of evidence that Luke did what he said he would, which is to very carefully examine the eyewitness accounts of Jesus on earth and to organize them for us. And that's where we get this. And so Luke chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I know that as soon as I start to talk about that story, some of you are like, please don't. I like my busyness. I find fulfillment in my busyness. Some people even say that's what makes me a good Christian. Pastor Ben, please don't go there. And I understand for others of us, it's just confusion. And others of us, it's like, oh, this is not very important. But the reality is, in the first 50 years after Jesus walked the earth, the ancient Christians 
believe that this story was important. Not only important, but they believe that Dr. Luke was Holy Spirit inspired to record this story as being instructive for us. So, since all scripture is God-breathed and for our benefit, let's just go there. And what I want to do is help us to slow down and be with Jesus. Jesus prayed the Psalms. It was, he went to Hebrew school. He was physically unremarkable. He wasn't particularly tall like Jeremy or Allison. Particularly attractive like all of you. (laughs) Really smart like my wife. Really funny like me. I mean, uh, he wasn't extraordinary in a lot of normal human ways. You can forgive me for that. He wasn't extraordinary in a lot of human ways. He did go to Hebrew school. And he says he didn't sin, so he was definitely not like me because I definitely sinned in school. Um, but he would have known and prayed this psalm from which the song we sang today was drawn. Psalm 46 and verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. Now, the I will be exalted is very important because God is saying that in the face of what you are facing that seems impossible, I will stand up and be recognized as in control. What you are fearing in your life, what you feel overwhelmed by in your life, what is an enemy, what is in your face-to-face conflict in your life will bow down before the living God. So God is not saying, hey, out of blind faith, out of fantasy, out of feeling and emotion, just relax. No, that's not God. God is saying, I have proven and I will prove that I am in control. Be still and know. And this knowing word here in the Hebrew, just as it is in the Greek and other passages, is very much an experience word. It's an experience word. Be still and experience. Be still and come to know. It is a whole person experience. It is with all of your intellect, with all of your emotion, with all your decision making, with your learning, with your loving. No. Be still and know. So Jesus would have known this. And we have talked a couple years before about the longer passage in John chapter 15 as John liked to particularly record the kind of spooky stuff that Jesus said, or the stuff that was just a little bit weird for most people. Jesus said, abide in me. And in the English rendering, because English is so much more limited than Greek, uh, we struggle still today with our English translations of what the heck Jesus meant with that. And so I want to help unpack that momentarily. Jesus is saying, stick with me. Make your home with me. Remain in me. Rest in me. All of those things are in that word abide in me. And Jesus will use the analogy of the vine. Stay connected. Jesus is saying, he's asking them, he's calling them to make a conscious decision. To choose daily, moment by moment. Day by day. To choose to remain in contact with him. Jesus is saying, through me, there is this availability of receiving your forgiveness and 
love from God. A relationship that can be unbroken. Choose to keep the line open. You ever love to interact with people in the service industry, you've got the Bluetooth headset in, they're in a conversation with somebody. Sometimes even like FaceTime, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, I would like cheese with that and 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 say hi to whoever you're talking to. I don't think Jesus is calling us to the kind of distracted spiritual life where everybody else feels like they're less than. You hear me? Jesus wants to be of some good use in this world. But our identity should be primarily derived from our sense of peace, our sense of, it's why I love the full serenity prayer. Our sense of serenity, our sense of calm should be derived primarily, not even from these moments together on a Sunday morning, but from our personal choosing to stay connected with Jesus, to sit down with him, to kick it for a while to to make our home with to remain in to rest in who is this jesus this is the jesus that offers forgiveness of sin this is the jesus that crossed cultural boundaries this is the jesus that did not do what the religious people thought they were going to do this is the the jesus who sinners uh of all stripes, the, 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 the crooked political ones and the prostitutes and the, the, everybody wanted to be with this Jesus. Something that Joe said earlier about God's forgiveness for us and God wanting us to come to Him even dirty reminds me, you're trying to catch me riding dirty, right? Well, Jesus kind of doing that in a different way. Jesus wants you to ride in in whatever state you're in. Because he can make you clean in a way that you're not clean. Some of you thank me for that later. <laughs> Jesus calls us to stick with him, to make our home with him, to remain in him, to rest in him. Now, Pastor Ben, it sounds like you're calling us to a whole bunch of more work. No! I'm calling us to slow down. Maybe you've been tracking with our Read Through the Bible in a Year program is stressing you out. Calm down. If you've got to take a break from it, take a break from it. But make sure that every day you're having a moment. I had this lifelong friend that actually babysat me before I was two years old. He's from the Caribbean and he cut my hair for the longest time. I know some of you think I should go back to him. I might take some more off. And he would just say, you know, we just have a human moment. We're just having a moment, aren't we? I'm calling us to have a moment with Jesus. And it's not a fantasy. It's not some weird, wacky, warm, gooey Christianity. It's based on the living Word of God that's been passed down from generation to generation that has been tested and proven to be found helpful. Look, even John saw in his apocalyptic vision, in the revelation of Jesus, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, written to the letter to the church of Laodicea, and some of you will remember the content, context of that letter. Jesus says this, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door. I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. 
That's Jesus. It's not some modern fantasy because today's people can't handle the real straight truth. No, no. This is Jesus talking. This is what He wants. Just like God, the Father, in the garden, walking with Adam and Eve daily, having a time of communion, a time of fellowship with them. It's like Jesus walking this earth and separating Himself from other people for times of of solitude and privacy to to spend some time with God. Jesus saying, I'm going to return to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be your advocate, your guide into truth. God the Holy Spirit is here now in this place. Right here. Right now. Not to give us some academic quiz. To call us to be still. To know. To slow down and be with Jesus. I have found so many times in the human experience where there's stress and where there's anxiety and I don't know, I can't figure this out, I don't know. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. Most of the time, the individual feeling that is not having a daily time of communion. To just be still and have a loving union with Jesus. So I know it's got like real serious, so I'm just going to mix it up a little bit. These are for sanitary reasons, individually wrapped, lifesavers. Don't tell your dentist. Fruit-flavored lifesavers. It's like this could be a lightsaber. I don't know. We'll see. Um, It's like this little moment taking you back to your childhood. Anybody want one? This side is not so much. (laughs) So, you want more? Oh, too much? Here, light and gentle. I'm not Oprah, but you can have one. You can have one. Look out. Oh, sorry. Okay. So, this kind of candy was actually, I've been told, not not designed for us to, like, get six at a time. But for, like, this delightful moment, remind us of actually sugar in God's natural kingdom, it's called fruit. (laughs) It's just meant for this moment of joy. I think it's a good analogy of what God is calling us to. Like, slow down and have a moment with Jesus. Might be a lifesaver. I did it. (laughs) So let me be clear. This is what I'm talking about. Find space to disengage from people and activities to be alone with God. 
Pastor Ben, I can't, you are like schizophrenic because one Sunday you're telling us to always be with people and relationships and life-giving relationships, life groups, and, and now you're telling us to get alone? It's not an either-or, it's a both-and. Find space to disengage from people and activities to be alone with God. It should be solitary and undistracted. There I go, talking crazy again, right? This is sounds impossible. It's possible. I once... My life was once dominated by anxiety and depression. And it's not anymore. I used to wake up expecting every day that things would go bad. I used to have flashes in the day of something traumatic and tragic happening in that moment. I'm free from that now. That, there are many ways that God brought that about, many decisions that I had to make in part. Recovery only happens when you choose to allow it, not based on your own terms. Walking out of denial, receiving help. Another plug for Celebrate Recovery, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, dinner's provided, safe place. It happened because I did this. And in the early years, you know my story as a teenager in the middle of the night, as I sneak out of my parents' house five nights a week, two, three in the morning, out by myself, out on the streets, and it turned from me being with other people to them being by myself and talking to God. Later in life, in, in, in other ways, and laying down on the floor, crying out to God, walking, talking to God, listening to God. A lot of time by myself with Jesus. Is with Jesus, you're never alone. That was so nice, let's say it twice. With Jesus, you're never alone. That's what he's calling us to. Slow down and spend time with him. And you've got to, you've got to come to a solitary place or it won't happen. Jesus did it. We see it a number of different ways. Now, I'll just get a little bit more specific here. Here's what I'm suggesting this week. Open your Bible to the, the section on the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Find a story with Jesus in it. And read it. Find a story with Jesus in it and read it. Experience it. Slow down enough to think about what's going on. Is there talking? Is there no talking? Who's talking? Why are they talking? What's happening? What, what's Jesus like? Right? Read, slow down. Read a story with Jesus in it. Think about it. Thank Jesus for what you see that's good, and then talk with Jesus. So super practical, nuts and bolts suggestion for how to do this thing. But in order to do it, you got to slow down. I don't know if your brain is anything like mine, but it takes a lot of effort to get my brain to slow down enough to have this kind of experience. And I'm told that ladies can think about more than one thing at once. I don't even want to know what that's like. So it may take real effort to slow down enough 
to do this so that it is truly a whole person experience. Okay, you're ready for me to move on. So read a story about Jesus. Now, let's take it a little bit further. Read a story about Jesus and then ask these questions and answer these questions. Who is Jesus? Well, the more you read, the more you learn. He's the Messiah, the sent one, the Prince of Peace, the Lily of the Valley, the Captain of our salvation, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Jesus. Our help that God sent. The Messiah, the sent one, 100% human, 100% divine, was with God the Father before creation. As God revealed to John, Jesus referred to even himself, always present, actually showed up in the Old Testament, always present, son of the living God, always observant of human behavior, came down, Miracle birth fulfilled Isaiah 53 and on and on and on. 54. Tempted in every way that we are and yet without sin. That's, it's miraculous. That's Jesus. Then in the story that you're reading, what is Jesus doing? So, let's take the story that we just read with Mary and Martha. What is Jesus doing? He's chilling. He's kind of relaxing. He's interacting. He didn't ask him to rent a lecture hall, draw a big crowd. He's hanging in somebody's home. Good with eating their food. Some of you have traveled enough to know that that's kind of risky. And he's kind of having relational time, right? What is Jesus saying? Well, what did Jesus say in this story to Martha? You're worried about the details. He didn't say you shouldn't prepare the meal. He didn't say that Mary shouldn't get involved with preparing the meal. He didn't say that meal preparation is a bad thing. No, in contrary, we actually have a bunch of scripture about how meal preparation is a good thing, right? And how chores have value. There I go, cursing in church again, right? So... No, but what Jesus is, is he's focusing, he's bringing some instruction to the things that are a little bit more important. And so he's saying, Mary, who's at his feet, who's listening, who's having a relational time, who's connecting, has found the more valuable thing. And just like the story that we referred to earlier today, the source of living water that will help you not to thirst anymore. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, what is Jesus Thinking and feeling. Well, he kind of reveals to us what he's thinking and feeling and what he's saying. But there are other stories where you're going to see it written down. What he's thinking 
and what he's feeling. It's not just deducing from what he said. And this practice will bring change to you. This practice of slowing down to have a moment with Jesus. Listen, it's more important than so many things we do to spend our time. Four more questions in response to that. So after you've gone through that exercise, then I should ask, so of all those things that I just observed about Jesus, what does that mean? I'm not into airhead Christianity. I don't think you're supposed to check your brain at the door when you come to church or in your walk with the Lord. What I just observed, what I just interacted with Jesus, what does that mean? And does it matter? Does it matter? If you don't believe it matters, not going to mean much. What do I learn from this? What do I learn from this story from Jesus? What does it tell me about God? What does it tell me about me? What does it tell me about how Jesus thinks or feels about me? Because I guarantee you, it says something. It reveals everything about Jesus reveals to us something about God, about who God is and who we are in relationship to God. What do I learn from this? What should I do about that? Once you have kind of outlined what you've learned, then we got to ask the question, what should I do about it? Is this making any sense? I want to invite you to try this this week. Try it. In the last two weeks, we talked about a Jesus-centered life. And my concern in doing that is that some of us will come away with this, I've got to try to be perfect. And when we realize we're not, the Christianity thing is just a big bummer. Maybe I'm the only one who's ever had that experience. I'm worried that when we talk about a Jesus-centered life, some of us go to that. i got to compare myself to Jesus? Are you kidding? So I'm Googling stories with alternate conspiracy theories about how he really screwed up. Don't pretend like you've never done that. What does a Jesus-centered life really mean? I don't think we can come to want... To want to live like Jesus and share His love. I don't think we can come to want to receive His forgiveness and His love. I don't think we can come to want to be with Him without slowing down. Slowing down to be with Jesus. Find a Jesus story. Experience it. Put yourself in it. Ask questions of it. Just be 
come into a place of personal relationship like the abide passage refers to. You gotta make a conscious choice to do it. But just be, just have a whole person experience with Jesus. Put yourself in that room. That's why these stories are recorded this way. So that you can put yourself in there and experience it. And if that's a struggle for you, well guess what? On Netflix they're streaming the miniseries The Bible, which does not do a fantastic job, but does a decent job, maybe better than your imagination, of this Jesus stories and you can watch that but have a Jesus moment we can benefit from a Jesus centered life let's slow down to be with Jesus love him and learn from him now I hope that you've kind of had a little bit of a spiritual experience and these moments I want to get a little bit more practical some of you know I grew up in church, so I come on Sunday, I'm always thinking, so what? So what does that mean? Here's the reality. For those of you that have grown up a little bit, this sounds impossible. I've got responsibilities. i got people in my life that have expectations of me. I hate you, Pastor Ben, for even bringing it up. How's that for some reality? The picture that you see is of a trellis. The Greek word trellis communicates exactly what you think when you see this. A structure that makes life better. A structure that makes life better. Some of you, I think, would rather I curse, use a, you know, one of those four letter words. You think I don't know them. <laughs> Some of you would rather I curse than use the word structure as it relates to your spiritual life. Don't think I don't know that. I know that. We are all unique spiritual beings. I'm not telling you that my way is your way. But here's what I have found and what I actually believe we can observe objectively in Scripture. In order to put this into practice, we need some structure. And your structures will look different than my structure. So I'm going to... Some of you may, may or may not catch this. I'm very careful with the things that I don't say. Your structure might look different than mine. But structure, like with a grapevine, helps the plant get up off the ground in Baltimore, away from the rats. It protects the fruit. It helps the plant be what it was designed to be and to be fruitful. And in your life, it's the same way. And you may recall the Jesus-centered life example that we used, right? I want to go just kind of a next step. We're just extending that. So in the diagram, I didn't have time to draw circles and do fancy diagrams, so just bear with me for a quick sec. Two minutes. In the middle, what we have is love of God. And I know that this doesn't, it's not like a perfect analogy, but also like a Jesus-centered life. Think about it that way. So if my approach and the love of God, if I'm going to try to make receiving the love of God and giving the love of God the middle of my life, okay? If I'm going to try to make that the middle of my life, the center of my life, four other categories of my life, if I'm learning from Scripture and what God said about what life should look like, would be this. I'll, I'll help some of us we're going to gravitate to the word work first. 
Okay, so work is certainly one area of your life. And what you'll notice is that in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the equation, God gave Adam and Eve vocation. We are all designed to do something, and there is inherent value in work. On the other side, some of us are gravitating towards the word rest, ready to be draped in velour, straight to retirement. Sounds fantastic. I think I might be good at that. How would I know? A work-rest rhythm, if I'm employing the principle of Sabbath, is going to be a healthy rhythm of work and rest. And in fact, your rest is a part of your spiritual worship, because by choosing to not work, you're saying, God, I believe that you are indeed my provider, and you will provide for me if I follow the Sabbath principle and have a set amount of time during the day, whether in whatever way you walk that out, you have a certain amount of time in the week where you rest from your work, from what is your work to be with God. These are biblical rhythms. Now, some of us have done really good because we've gotten to the place where we understand both those concepts, and yet we don't totally understand the other concepts, which are also biblical values in your life. Prayer and relationships. You've heard me refer multiple times to what are the things in your life that are going to last forever. This shirt will not. In fact, I might need to retire it after this week. Your car will not. For some of us, it's thank God. For others of us, oh. People are the eternal investment in your life. That car, that house, they're money pits. People are what will last forever. And your relationship with God, that's what will last forever. So if what's on the screen, in the middle we have a circle that is the love of God, where I'm receiving the love of God and giving the love of God. Remember, agape, a love gives ethic. If I'm living out of this, I spend time to, I do things to receive God's love for me, and I do things to give God's love. Are you with me? Then under each of the four categories that you see on the screen, I'm going to have things to write. I'm going to have purposes. I'm going to identify certain roles in my life, and under each role in my life, I'm going to have what? Come on, a few of the guys I've walked through this, I expected you to say something. Under each role, I'm going to identify goals. And then I'm going to ask myself questions like, how can I serve and how can I surprise? This is how you can live and examine life where you actually do stuff that you believe in. And instead of going through life, I'm trapped, I can't do anything about it, I have to work there, I have to have this... When reality is, you could move somewhere else, drive something else, wear something else, and change your bills. Some of y'all looking at me like cows looking at a new gate. (laughs) We can feel trapped by things that are not traps. We can feel limited and hemmed in and overwhelmed by things that we should not. Because we serve a living God that can do anything. God wants us to pray big, hairy, audacious prayers that are specific. God, will you do this miracle thing and this time? And then see what happens. Okay, so we have these areas of our life. We have to develop a trestle. A trellis. Trestles for trains. Trellis for plants. If we develop a trellis in our life, uh, 
identifying what's going on in our life, our roles and our plans and God's will for our life. And then from there deriving, what should I be spending the most time on? See, we can say that we value certain things, but the way to really know if we do value those things is to open up our schedule and our checkbook or our bank account record app on our phone. Because what you give your time to and what you give your money to will show what you truly value. And the truth of the matter is today, there's nobody in this room that is busier than somebody else. We all have 24 hours in a day and you will do the things you want to do, which is why it's amazing that you're here. You wanted to come be with people that look different than e- each other. You wanted to come on a Sunday morning because you love God more than the other stuff like your pillow. It's amazing that you're here. Really? No sarcasm. I'm so glad you came. You are showing what you value. If I will stop and look at my entire life, what do I value? And then make decisions based on what I value. Then this thing of, hey, slow down and spend a few minutes with Jesus doesn't sound crazy anymore. Because what we don't want is the alternative. And what was that? Jesus said there would be a day when people would come and said, I did this for you and I did that for you. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Even the demon said to the sons of Sceva, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? You are an eternal spiritual being having a temporary natural experience. Let's not get it mixed up. A moment with Jesus is a lifesaver. I couldn't help it. I know it's cheesy, but it's true. I think about the religious people grab a couple caught in an immoral sexual act. Of course, in a paternal society, they let the guy go, but they bring the woman before Jesus. And they want to throw rocks at her until she dies. Jesus steps in. He actually physically defends her. He shows her love. He looks her in the eye. He identifies with a person that if you are one of those church people, you're not supposed to identify with. He says, all the accusers leave. He says, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. You don't experience the eye-to-eye contact, the drama of the moment, the character of Jesus being brought out in that story unless you have slowed down to read it, to consider it, to experience it. Relax. Be still. And know He is God. He will be lifted up. Jesus will be exalted. 
There will be a day where every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The little kids, they wanted to be with Jesus. Jesus healed the people with leprosy that you weren't supposed to touch. He touched. This week, get alone. Shut out your world. Get alone. And let's spend some time with Jesus. You might have to build a rule for your life, a structure, a trellis in order to make it happen. But let's make it happen. Will you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you so much that you saved us because you love us. I thank you, Lord Jesus. You are God's love revealed to us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've spoken to us today through the word. Help us to understand what we've read. Help us to respond to it. We thank you for your blessing today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you for coming today. If you'd like to receive prayer, please don't leave until you do. Grace and peace to you.